Scripture says that because the world doesn't understand where we're coming from, that creates friction for us at times. And often, maybe we, we don't get received. And, he, the way, and Peter's got experience in this. He talks about suffering, suffering persecution, suffering not being understood, conflict that comes from walking and, and living for God in a world that doesn't really get that. And so Peter spends a lot of chapter 4 actually talking about suffering, but he continues to say again and again and again, our response to everyone as followers of Jesus, as children of God, should always be love, service, and submission. And that's it, exactly. That's it. Love, service, and submission. And that's what he's been talking with us about for four chapters now. Um, I want to just give you two scriptures that are highlights of chapter four, because that's what uh, Pastor Hart was supposed to cover last week and, and didn't. So here we go. So we're going to take... So I want to read out to you 1 Peter 4, verses 8, and 8 through 11. Peter writes, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So he's talking in chapter 4 a little bit about how the things that we do and, and the gifts that we've been given should be used not to garner stuff for ourselves, whether that's praise or riches or admiration. It's not about us. That's not why he gave us the gifts. The gifts that he gives us and, and the heart that he gives us is so that people can experience him and be pointed to him. To God be the glory forever and ever and ever. If I get the glory, it's, I mean, it's, it's whatever. It's going to die like everything else in this world. And it's going to puff me up with pride. And it's not going to lead to anything good if I get the glory. But if God gets the glory, then good things happen. And and his will is expressed then through me into someone else. So the second uh, scripture from uh, 1 Peter 4 is verses 12 and 13. And this is where he's talking a little bit about suffering. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed." one of the big reasons for me that I know I can trust him and that I know he understands me is because he came to earth to experience life as a human. He knows what it's like to live here. He knows the emotions that go into living here. He knows the challenges. He knows, he knows how people can be way better than I do. He came here and I can trust him because he's experienced what I'm experiencing. And he made it through in a way that is above my way. So he's, he, I know that he's not just using, you know, using his super miraculous God powers to skate over all the bad stuff. No, he came to experience this as a human and to suffer as a human. That's part of the deal. That's part of the deal for us as well. Christ suffered so that God be, could be glorified. And so we, Peter's telling us, we shouldn't be surprised if at times in our lives that we live for God, if we're suffering, it's not about what's happening to you. It's about what 
is being produced in you. It's not about what's happening to you. It's about what's being produced in you. And so in chapter four, he's reminding us not to be surprised when sufferings happen, when tests come, when trials come. That is a part of this. But we need to be giving those things over to God, giving those things over and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us so that what is happening to us can produce something in us. Because that's the point of the trial, is for something to be produced in you. So Peter has been addressing all throughout this letter how we're supposed to respond to other people, how we're supposed to uh, treat others, how we're supposed to be submissive to authorities in the world, and, and we're supposed to love one another, how we're supposed to serve and all that. And he's, he's, been, he's been talking about our response. And in this final chapter, he starts off by talking about leaders in the body. He's been talking about how we're supposed to respond to people outside the body. But in chapter five, he begins talking about expectations for people who are in leadership in the body. And, uh, and I mean, he's, he's able to speak with a lot of authority about this because he's been there. It's produced something in him to where he can become this example of godly character for us in the body. We can, we can take to heart and we can trust what he's saying here because he's lived it. He's, he knows what he's talking about. And while he's writing it, he's still going through this process, right? He's still growing. He's still learning. Um, there, anybody ever like play sports? Are you in band or what? You had coaches in high school, right? Um, there are, if you know, there are two kinds of coaches. There are the coaches who shout at you from afar and tell you what you should be doing. And there are the coaches who get in the trenches with you and show you what to do, right? There are those coaches who, you know, will say things like on a, on a megaphone in their golf cart from way over there. They'll say, two more laps. Go. This is good for you. You know, and they'll do that. Faster. You know, even faster, you know, Shaw, I'm talking to you faster. It's that, that might not have, that was my high school experience. Um, Shaw, that's still not right. Uh, but then there are those coaches who will show you what's going on. They will embrace that experience with you. They're willing to get in there and show you some technique and, and, Put a little sweat equity into it. They're not just shouting instructions to you from afar. They're guiding you through a process. And that's what Peter's doing here. Peter is a coach. And Peter is the kind of coach who has been through the fire. And not only is he leading right now, but he's telling other people, hey, if you want to lead, lead like this. I'm going to show you what to do because I'm doing it. All right? So um, we're going to start in verse 1. That's probably a good place to start. In 1 Peter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter, in these first four verses, and I know he's saying elders, and he's an elder, and he's talking to elders, and there is that role that 
that churches have where people are serving as elders. But I want us to think about this as in the context of your life. We are at all times leading someone and following someone. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus in this room today, someone is looking to you to see how this should be done. Someone is watching your example, listening to your words. Don't get nervous. It's all fine. They're watching your example. They're listening to your words because there's something that you have committed to that they're not sure if they want to make that commitment yet, and they want to see how you're doing this. Or they're having trouble with the commitment they're making, and they want to watch you to see how it's done. You are leading someone, and they may not even tell you, but they're there. And so this, these words that Peter is giving to elders are also for us. And at the same time, we are, we may be leading some people, but we're also following someone. So these are guidelines not only for who Peter would have us become, people who are leading others to Christ with our, with our words, with our actions, with our heart, but, but he's also setting out guidelines for the qualities that we should look for in the shepherds that we're choosing to align ourselves with. So he's laying this out for elders, and I want to read it one more time. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing. That's a heart issue. That's a heart issue. If I'm, and, and whether it's here in this church or it's in a small group or it's in some other place where you are following Jesus together, when you're aligning yourself with someone who is leading you in the ways of Jesus, be, be wise. Be mindful of these things. I want to follow somebody who is leading me in the ways of Jesus, not because it's their job, not because they get a paycheck, not because they feel like they should or whatever, but, but because they're willing, because they want to, because of their love for the Lord, and because they're taking his great commission to heart. I want that. I want, and, and he says specifically shepherds. What do shepherds do? They care for the flock. They tend to it. They protect it. They turn their attention to the individuals and try and make sure that nobody gets into dangerous spaces, right? They make sure that people are fed. And so as you are, and I, as we're growing in Christ and growing in our abilities to lead, we need to be mindful of this and be mindful of the, the, the qualities of a, of a shepherd, because even, even if you're not intending to, you're kind of shepherding someone. Someone is following you. Someone is hoping that you'll be there to help protect them. Someone is coming to you because they're, they're hungry for something and they're hoping that you'll be able to feed them. So this is all, this is all for us. And so shepherds, shepherding God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Because you've turned yourself over and said, Lord, whatever you want. Let your will be done. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Mm. 
I'm going to look at verse 5. In the same way, so he's been talking to us as leaders. But remember, at any point, we're leading, but we're also following. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Man, this is so good. Thank you, Peter. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. We're going to look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. There are too many tragedies that occur in the body of Christ because people are unwilling to recognize that it is God who has the authority. It is God who arranges all of this. It is God who, <laughs> it is, God who is over everything. And too many tragedies happen because there are people unwilling to recognize that God is the authority and furthermore, unwilling to submit to it and hold loosely to the thing that God has asked them to steward. Not to hold, not to, not to build, not to take, not to, not to grab credit for, but to steward, right? It is, it is the tendency of humans to want to lift themselves up. If, if we're honest, I mean, it's nice when people think we're doing a good job, Right? It's much better than when they think we're terrible at something. And, and we've probably all experienced both. It's, it's better to have people think you're doing a good job. It feels better when, when people recognize you and when people elevate you and lift you up a little bit. That feels good, but that can't be our motivation. God wants us to humble ourselves, to be willing to be a servant of all people. We take the example of Jesus. Jesus, though he was God, did, did not consider being equal with God as his position. Instead, he humbled himself, serving all to the point of death so that God could be glorified. Jesus had every, uh, every opportunity to draw the attention to himself and say, I am this, look at what I'm doing for all of you. Glorify me. But he didn't. He said, I'm just here to serve my father. And in serving my father, I'm here to serve all of you. What do you need? And he humbled himself to the point of death, to the point where people who didn't understand what he was doing killed him. But in that, and forgiving them, he created a way for all of us to experience the glory that God has for each of us individually and for us collectively as a body. Rather than allowing him to lift us up, our tendency is to try and lift ourselves up, right? We want to prove that we're qualified. We want to prove that we're good enough. We want to prove that we're smart. We want to prove all these things so that people will recognize us. And really the goal in all of this in the body is not for people to recognize us. It's for people to recognize Jesus. It's for people to recognize Jesus. For people to be around us and somehow get this impression of, man, that person's been with Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that moves through us into people's hearts and brings revelation and brings conviction and, and brings inspiration to, and aspiration to, to seek higher things. That's what he's calling us to. God's ways always run in opposition to our ways. We want to be lifted up. God is saying submit. 
we want for people to recognize us. God is saying, no, 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 no. Tell, point the way to me. Point the way for, for them to recognize me. And all that other stuff gets taken care of. Right? And Jesus said this himself in Luke 4.11. He said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We want the shortcut, right? We want the exaltation, but we don't want the humbling. But Jesus is saying very clearly, you're going to get the humbling. Whether that's you or me, I mean, somebody's going to do it. Uh, those who exalt, I mean, in the, that's like Jesus is sneaky the way he's saying this. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. You want to be exalted? That's great. I want that too. Don't do it yourself. I want for you to be lifted up and to be seen, to be a city on a hill. That's what I want. I want for your, the light of God to shine through you. Don't try to make that happen on your own. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and they'll see eventually that they need me. But all those who humble themselves will be exalted along with me. That's what he's telling us. All ministry, all ministry, no matter what it looks like, no matter what function you're serving in ministry, all ministry is receiving the love of God and giving it away. That's it. That's all we're doing. That's all we're called to do. Receive the love of God and give it away. And that takes various forms. Like this morning, we had an amazing, wonderful, anointed, awesome team that I love so dearly receiving the love of God and giving it away through song, right? We have, we have people in our, in our body who are, are called to receive the love of God and give it away through prayer, through intercessory prayer. We have people that are just, they've got a ministry of hugs. They're just really good at it, you know? And they receive the love of God and they give it away by giving you a hug and you just melt and you're like, what happened? I just was coming up to say hi and like, and now I'm crying and I don't know what's going on. Because they're receiving the love of God and giving it away through the, through, through the specific gifting and calling that they have. And that's all ministry. And if we approach it from that perspective, that all ministry is receiving God's love and giving it away, then the humbling takes care of itself. Because whatever I'm doing Apart from receiving from him, it's not going to work. So if I'm speaking this morning and I'm not, I'm not asking for God's love to flow through me and I'm not asking for him to sustain me and I'm not asking for him to help guide me through this, and believe me, I need guidance through this, if I'm not receiving that from him and then just opening up to give it away, then it's just words and it's not going to change anyone's life and it's not going to, you're not going to remember it when you walk out the door. It's not going to impact you. But if we'll ask, God, just make me a vessel for your love. However that shows up today, make me a vessel for your love. Then all of the, all of the issues of pride go out the window. And when pride is gone, so many other terrible things go along with it. And it takes out offense. Like, have you ever tried to minister to someone and they don't receive it and you get offended? If that's been you, and it's been me before, that's a clear indication that, okay, wait, I wasn't just ministering God's love. I was ministering so that they could receive something from me. Because if I get offended when they don't receive it, then I, it wasn't about Jesus. 
So if we take pride out of the equation, then offense goes out the door with it. And if offense goes out the door, anger goes out the door because I don't have anything to be upset about. Jesus even said, he said, hey, if they reject you, don't worry, they rejected me. It's not you they're rejecting. It's me. That's what Jesus told us. And, 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 if, and if anger and offense go out, go out the door and I don't have to worry about that, then striving goes out the window as well because I don't have to keep working hard to figure out, okay, how can I do this in a way that everybody's going to receive? How can I do this in a way that nobody's going to reject? How can I work really hard and craft this so that it's palatable for everyone? I got to tell you, Jesus is not going to be palatable for everyone all the time. He wasn't for a lot of you when you first heard about him. Like for me, Jennifer brought me to church the first time. I hadn't been to church in a really long time. I was 18, and Jennifer brought me to church because she told me, we can't keep dating unless you come to church with me. Right? What? Yeah, no, I argued, I argued with her for a long time. Um, uh, and so you can't keep dating. We can't keep dating unless you come to church with me. And I thought, oh, okay, well, she's worth it. So I'll suffer through this. And Jennifer, after that service, that's, I'm so sorry I did this too. Um, after that service, I'm sure Jennifer was super excited. And it was during that, I talked to you about my testimony before. It was during that service that I got greeted by some people who didn't really know me. And it was Romans 2.4, the, the kindness of God draws us to repentance. It doesn't happen immediately, apparently, because right after that service, like something broke inside of me, but I was still defensive. Uh, and right after that service, Jennifer said, well, we went out to lunch. She said, so what'd you think? I'm sure she was excited to talk about it. This was going to be a breakthrough. And I said, no, it's fine, but don't expect me to come back. Right? I said that. Oh, man. I love you. You married me. <laughs> wow. But, <laughs> but, um, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you're being a vessel for the love of God. And, and even if your heart is so much turned towards him and you're like, oh, this is, God, this is really going to happen. It, God is not going to, he's not going to force himself on anyone. He didn't with you. He allowed you to come to him. It was the kindness of God that drew you to repentance. So don't be, don't think it's a short game. We're playing a long game. God's playing a long game. Don't be worried. Don't be frustrated. Don't be surprised if somebody doesn't receive right away the love of God flowing through you. They didn't receive it from Jesus himself a lot of times. That doesn't stop us from loving. And if it does, again, then it wasn't about Jesus. If it stops us, it wasn't about Jesus, it was about us. So, when we take pride out of the equation, we eliminate our anger, we eliminate offense, we eliminate striving, we eliminate the tendency to compare ourselves to other people, which is terrible. Comparison is the thief of joy. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I watched the Barbie movie last night, and that's a big lesson in that. Yeah. So we suffer by comparison. We really do. We suffer by comparison. If you're scrolling through Facebook and you get upset because they, they have this and they have that, just know, first of all, they're only posting their great pictures. They're not posting the 35 others that they took that weren't quite right. 
right? So they're only posting the best stuff, but don't allow yourself to fall into this suffering by comparison. And in, in the spirit, in our churches, in the body, don't allow yourself to suffer, uh, to dive into this suffering by comparison. Um, if we eliminate our pride, then that goes away. Performance mentality goes away. But how do we do that? Peter tells us a little bit in verse 7 through 11. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not in this alone. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is practical application that Peter is giving us. He's asking us to humble ourselves. He's asking us to seek him. He's asking us to be vessels for the love of God that we can receive it from him and give it away. And when we are wondering, okay, how can I do that? How can I operate more in that? How can I really get that? He gives us some practical application. And he says, trust me with your worries. Trust me with your fears. Don't let those things that get cycling through your head about how, why this won't work, why you can't do this, why you're not good enough. The enemy is going around like a roaring lion trying to devour people. And he's not going to devour us himself. He's going to let us devour ourselves from the inside. He's going to plant a seed that is doubt. He's going to plant a seed that is, is a distraction from what God has spoken over you. And he's just going to let you run that as far as you can. So trust Jesus with your worries and your fears. Give them over to him right away. Jesus, I'm worried about this. God, I'm afraid of this. Help me in my fear. I believe, Jesus, but help my unbelief. Help that part of me that's still resistant to believing you because I don't want the enemy to win. He won't win. He says, be self-controlled, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. We can only control ourselves so much. Two weeks ago, I said there's only three things we're in control of. Our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. Everything else is up to God. You're only in control of your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, but even to be in control of those things, we need the Holy Spirit. So we need for the Holy Spirit to come in. We need to invite the presence of God into our lives. I want to give my worries and my fears over to you, Jesus, but I'm having trouble. So Holy Spirit, I invite you in to help me to release things. Peter's reminding us to be watchful and aware, to be present so we can detect the enemy at work. Be aware. Be aware. When you find yourself slipping into unhealthy thought processes, unhealthy patterns, unhealthy things that you're voicing out, things that you, you know aren't true about you or about God or about someone else. Be aware, be present, and then bring those things right back in. Give them over to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And he says, resist the devil and his temptations and he will flee from you. And when we can be practically applying these things, when we can be present with God, when we're quick to give these things over and to give him the authority that, that is his alone, I love the New King James Version translation. He ends it with this, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, may he perfect 
establish, strengthen, and settle you. Those are four powerful words. That is what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. That is why we need to be humbling ourselves before him. That's why we need to be giving things over to him and not so prideful that we think we can do it on our own. Because God's wanting to do these four things in our life. He's wanting to perfect you. Better today than you were yesterday. More capable. More aware. More sensitive to his presence. That's what he's wanting. He's wanting to perfect you. He's wanting to establish you stronger in the word, stronger in the faith, stronger in, in your relationships with the, with the body, with the family, stronger in your confidence in him. He's wanting to establish you. He's wanting to strengthen you. He's wanting to strengthen you because you have things you need to carry. And there are people, some of those things are people. Some people are looking to you because they don't have the strength. He's wanting to strengthen you so that you can help pull them out of where they are. And he's wanting to settle you. Settle you in the sense of give you peace. But also settle you in the sense of the foundations of your faith. This is truth. This is who he is. This is who I am. It is settled and nothing can change my mind on that. He's wanting to perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. And so I'm gonna, we're going next week into James chapter 1, so I just want to just preview that right here because it, it, it applies. My brethren, James 1, verses 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let that patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We read just a little while ago that those who seek to exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is what that is. This is what it is like to be settled in the faith. It is, it is submitting to God, giving those things over to him when we are experiencing trials so that he can strengthen, establish, perfect, and settle us so that we can let patience have its perfect work and he can make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a way to go through life that would be. And it's available. It's available to us. That is God's desire and design for us. Mm -hmm.